All right, here we go. It's time for the nose. And uh, the best laid plans. Actually, our plans weren't even all that well laid to begin with. Um, we were thinking about maybe speed dating through about seven topics. And then yesterday, Al Franken happened and everything became very different. I have to say that on Saturday night, and this is not a plug because I don't think you can get tickets anymore. But on Saturday night, I'm going to be on stage with the comedians Tignataro, uh, Mark Marin, and Fred Armisen. And, I mean, Louis C.K. was like a big enough thing to talk about. Now Al Franken, of course, comes out of the same world of SNL comedy. Um, anyway, we have a lot to talk about today. We hope we can get to some other topics, but um, uh, the the Franken stuff is very big. That's where we'll begin. And we will begin with Tanisha Dugan, producing uh, associate at TheaterWorks, Jacques Lamar, senior project manager at Buzz Engine, and Kate Russian, a teaching artist. By the way, that's the official trademark pronunciation of Buzz Engine. You're supposed to say <laughs> Buzz Engine. <laughs> Uh, Kate Russian is a teaching artist for the Connecticut Office of the Arts and a Pushcart Prize-nominated poet. Um, so towards the end, I don't know. I mean, initially, we were going to talk about Blake Shelton as the sexiest man. We still might. I think <laughs> Jacques uh, is ready uh, and uh, and willing. Uh, and uh, we may talk about the Da Vinci sale and some other stuff as well. We got, a, we got a list of things. But we do have to begin with Al Franken. If you have been uh, unconscious for the last 24 hours, um, Al Franken uh, is, of course, a U.S. senator. He now has been accused uh, of an incident in 2006. He was on a USO tour. A woman who was on that tour, uh, a sort of a TV newsish personality, I think, um, accused him of A, um, having a skit in which he would be kissing her on stage and then uh, he apparently, according to her, insisted that they practice the kiss. She didn't want to do that. He kept insisting. He kept pressing. Finally, uh, I think in the darkness off stage, he uh, tried to practice the kiss and stuck his tongue down her throat. Uh, I have to say, I stood in the offstage darkness with Al Franken last August at the Schubert, and he, he tried no such thing. Um, and, and now I'm feeling like, what? I don't, I don't have it. Um, so, uh, and also, uh, there's also a photo, a photo in which she appears to be asleep. He is in a very stagey way spreading his hands out across her uh, bevested breasts uh, as if he's groping her in his sleep. I mean, this is obviously sort of a comic thing, but it's also kind of creepy. Um, so um, there are things stand, although there have been other developments as well. Um, I should say his accuser does not think that Al Franken should resign. Um, on the other hand, uh, she has pressed this matter uh, pretty hard and, and uh, there's an ethics, ethics investigation about to unfold and all kinds of other stuff as well. And of course, this also does not happen in a vacuum. We've had days and days and weeks and weeks of all this kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean, last week it was Louis C.K. and now it's this and there's been lots of other things involving, uh, well, you know, you know this story. So I'm trying to figure out where to begin and how to begin. And I guess maybe uh, I'm going to ask you to sort of talk a little bit about where this moves the needle on your either outrage or concern meters. Kate, I'll start uh, with you. I mean, how big a story is Al Franken to you? Granting the factor that I think that both you and Tanisha said that you're getting a little weary of this subject in general. Well, um you know, I was listening to um, uh, conservative talk radio to hear what they had to say about it. And, of course, they were making it about a, a Democrat, a Republican or a liberal conservative split. And I'm in my car and I'm shouting, no, it's about power against the less powerful. And generally speaking, this is a, a, a powerful man taking advantage of 
uh, a woman that he saw as less powerful. So that's, that's where I'm coming from. And I'm not tired of talking about it. I don't think we've talked about it enough uh, at all levels of our society and interaction. Right. I mean, I'm glad you say all levels too because uh, one thing I keep saying to people is that the life of a cocktail waitress has not changed that much over the last five weeks or over the last 30 years. I mean, it's just kind of like priced into like a lot of what they have to deal with. I'm not just not just them either, but just I'm using, using that example. Well, Jacques, to Kate's point though, one thing you and I, I think, have both experienced on social media where there's been a lot of activity about this is that in many cases, and I think you might have had a slightly different experience, but one thing that I'm uh, one thing that I've been seeing a lot is that people who skew democratic or liberal or how, however they might want to self-identify, they're having a lot of trouble with this story. They're trying to find ways in which it might be different from certain other stories, especially the Roy Moore story. Um, they're making excuses. They're I, I don't know. I mean, what's what has been your experience? Uh, well, you know, uh, yesterday I just simply put. As a <laughs> as a status update, why Al Franken? Why <laughs> and not necessarily why Al Franken, but why did you do this, Al Franken? Because at least you know with with uh you know the photo, there's a certain amount of not necessarily incontrovertible evidence, but I mean it's it, you know it's obviously something that was done in poor taste and questionable judgment, but um, so many people were. I was really shocked at um, people immediately dismissing it as a quote unquote nothing burger mm-hmm. um, and people uh, saying, you know, this is gone, you know, this is going too far, this witch hunt, um, that there were um, people who were, you know, parsing whether or not he's actually touching her breasts in the photo and if that, you know, makes a difference. And um, and then uh, I was starting to getting into it with a with a friend on whether or not um, his uh, statement was a dodge. Um, well, there's two. We should say there's two statements. So yeah. there was like a three sentence statement issued pretty much right away, which seemed wholly insufficient. He just said, "I, I, I certainly remember this very differently from the way that she does." As far as the picture goes, it was a joke. It was a bad joke. You know, and that was like all he had to say. And then the second statement, which was many, many sentences long and had a lot in it. Uh, but anyway, continue. Yeah. Well, I, it was, what was fascinating to me was how many um, women were coming to his defense. Uh, and, you know, no one likes to be called a hypocrite. Uh, and I didn't I'm not using that word <laughs> while implying it. Uh that if you know if this was a conservative figure, um, would we be so willing as liberals or Democrats or independents to say that this is a nothing burger? And you know, if you look at a lot of these things, I mean, with Louis C.K. and Harvey Weinstein, you know, there was stuff out there, say, you know, saying that this is going on or whatever, but it took some tipping point for multiple women to come, you know, forward forward simultaneously and be taken seriously. Um, with Kevin Spacey, it just took um, Anthony Rapp giving one interview for the floodgates to open. Um, there's already an mm-hmm. allegation, a second allegation that's, I guess, getting ready to be made against Al Franken. And I don't know... Um, 
much about that, but I, to me, it's it was interesting how suddenly, um, because this is a Democratic uh, senator and one who's very beloved by a lot of liberals like myself, um, that suddenly it's like, oh, wait, 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 wait. You know, maybe maybe her allegations don't need to be taken quite as seriously, or maybe it wasn't as egregious as as what you know Roy Moore has been accused of. So anyway, it was it was interesting to see how my why Al Franken why turned into a <laughs> deluge of not only comments but people fighting with each other. Right. Uh, there's been a lot of fighting on my social media feed too, and I, it kind of began. There were a couple of pieces this week about Bill Clinton. Uh, the New York Times ran several pieces this week. One column, one front page article, basically saying, you know, when you look back at Bill Clinton in the late 1990s, you know, there were women coming forwards: Kathleen Wiley, Juanita Broderick, um, and Paula Jones, of course, herself, who were telling stories that sounded very Weinstein-like. If and and in the case of Juanita Broderick, worse, I think, than anything is, that has been alleged against. Oh, uh, Harvey Weinstein, and that you know, and I was the House liberal on a you know otherwise conservative radio show. I spent a lot of time, kind of batting some of this stuff away on Clinton's behalf. I mean, some of it was sort of genuinely real and appalling. Some of the Monica Lewinsky stuff, but others, the other stuff, I don't think I really took these women particularly seriously. It was like you almost couldn't afford to take them seriously, and that's a problem, Tanisha. Right when you sort of think about the way the fight is and and how how vicious the fight is, the internecine fight between parties, there's this sense that uh, people have a knee-jerk reaction. We can't lose this guy, you know? We, we can't sacrifice Al Franken. And so I think they do the thing that Jacques's talking about. Yeah, um, I guess my weariness in response to what you've just said. Yeah, you were weary, Kate wasn't. I got it wrong. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were both weary. We're all weary. Yeah. Um, is essentially that, that... Um, you have to separate out the behavior from the things that people do. Um, this is absolutely about power, uh, and it is baked into the cake of how we operate, which is why it's difficult to say, but I love Al Franken. I love Bill Cosby's work. I love um, so on and so forth. But there's not a woman I know of that hasn't been a victim of some kind of sexual advance that they did not want. Um, so that to me indicates that that's, it's about masculinity and the way in which it feels the norm to do these things. And so my weariness, I think, comes from the fact that if we were all quite honest, most men have probably done something, maybe not to the extreme of a Roy Moore or a Kevin Spacey or a Harvey Weinstein or a Bill Clinton, um, but have found themselves in situations uh, where they've perpetrated this kind of act unknowingly because I think it's subconsciously baked into what it means to be a man. Um, and so that's where my weariness comes from, that the conversation is about these moments that are highlighted um, because of a deluge of women, I love that word, uh, come forward and say, yes, me too. Um, but the truth of the matter is if we go across the entire societal spectra, it's there and it happens and it happens on a subway car and it happens on a date and it happens um, between husbands and wives because it is about knowing the nuance of, an, of a moment and when and how to use your power and when it is 
not appropriate and when it is. Um, I'm interested if if the Fred Armisen conversation isn't sold out, I suspect folks should buy the ticket because uh, those rumblings about him have been going on for years as well. Uh, and it'll be interesting to watch him dance if you have a conversation about Al Franken. Oh, although different kind of rumblings. Um, I, I, I make the argument that they're one and the same because essentially we're talking about using your power as a man to make someone less powerful feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we widen the conversation to that, yeah. uh, we can start to sort of take on these structural things that we've gone through when we talk about race, when we talk about gender, when we talk about sexuality, that that underpins, you know, why I think these things are coming out in the way that they're coming out. I, yeah, go ahead. yeah, go ahead. I, I, I think, you know, because I, I was intrigued that... Um, both uh, a male friend and a female friend were trying to sort of brush aside the Louis C.K. situation because he said, well, mind if I take out my my junk uh, and that the that the women stayed in some in some instances. And they were like, well, you know, the women made the choice to stay instead of saying no or walking out or what have you. And. Um, uh, my my initial take, and I'm not coming at this from the standpoint of of uh, being a male or or the the power dynamic, is these were in professional contexts. Uh, so it's not like I met this woman in a bar and then asked her if she would come up to my hotel room and said, mind if I take out my junk and I, while I stare at you. Uh, it, these were, you know, women who had, all had a professional relationship. And like with Al Franken, he was on a USO tour with a woman who was there to do her job. And part of this job may have been participating in a skit, but she was, you know, this this is part of what bothers me about it. There's a lot that bothers me about it. But I think... You know that that these people who are abusing their powers are doing it oftentimes in a professional context, and that um, adds that to me that people can't see that as folded into this. You know, if I walked up to someone in the office and did what Al Franken is accused of doing, I would expect to lose my job. Right. And, and one thing that I've said last Monday was one of the differences between the entertainment world and to a degree the world of electoral politics in most of the rest of the world is in most of the rest of the world we get training in all this stuff because in fact um, companies cannot – whether they're nonprofit or profit, they cannot afford the judgments that they've had post-Chattanooga forklift case. Everybody started to get training because – not because companies are wonderful but because they don't want to be, get litigated against and have gigantic judgments and, and that's – but you know, so Kate, this also raises – well, go ahead. Go ahead. You got something to say? Just yeah, yeah. You know, it's, you know I, I'm struck by uh, the fact that some of the people we're talking about are comedians. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the Al Franken photo and clearly he meant that to be a joke. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here remembering and thinking about any number of incidents um, that have been covered up as jokes from Al Franken all the way down to third grade and that women – are supposed to just accept it and then the whole thing turns on women. Oh, you're not being a good sport or you're being too serious. And I'm also thinking about 
you know, what you were saying um, uh, that someone said to you, Jacques, about the, the, the women stayed. And what I think about in those situations, uh, judging by my own responses to these kinds of, 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 of power plays, is that you're not staying, you're stunned, mm-hmm. you're speechless, stuck. you're stuck for the moment whether it's stuck momentarily because of the situation you're in or that you're stuck for years mm-hmm. like Anita Hill because it's your job and your career. Right. I, you know, the two women in, uh, two women comedians in Aspen who had the experience with Louis C.K. described themselves as kind of screaming and laughing at the same time. And I do think one thing that's happened in 2017, one thing that maybe has changed, at least with these highly public things, although as Tanisha says, and I think we all agree, a lot of these things happen in a much less public way and, and just aren't really refereed by public opinion the way these are. But to the extent that these things can be refereed by public opinion, I think we're saying, A, how you reacted to that particular moment is not is no longer any kind of judgment against you. You could be stunned. You could not know what else to do. The fact that you waited a really long time to talk about it cannot be held against you or used to undermine your charges. The charges against Roy Moore date back mostly to 1977. That's 40 years. But I think there's sort of a sense. Okay, so really it's 40 years. About it. Yeah, really, <laughs> we're talking about it. But so, so, but so what? You know, and, and and on and on. Ways that these things were kind of thrown aside in the past have now been switched around. But I think also that question, I mean, one of the things that makes Franken so interesting is he has occupied so many different worlds, right? So he comes out, out of comedy, but by 1995, his career as sort of a full-time professional comedian is over. And he becomes this sort of quasi, I mean, he really comes becomes sort of a liberal Bill O'Reilly, right? He goes on Air America, he writes books uh, that are, are, are definitely very political. Uh, you know, Rush Limbaugh is a big fat idiot and stuff like that. Um, he becomes this kind of negative image of posturing right-wing jerks. And, and that's kind of who he is when this USO thing goes down, is he's, he's not really a comedian so much anymore, although he hasn't given up on his entertainment career. But he's a little bit more of a political commenta- commentator with an entertainment background. And then he goes from there to being a U.S. senator. And I just quickly will say, and I, I don't mean to talk so much, but I did have like spent half a day with this man and I read his damn book, uh, uh, the, his new book, which is essentially a campaign biography. And a lot of it and, and I'd I love to get your reactions to all of this because all of you come at this from kind of interesting angles. A lot of, it, a lot of that book is almost obsessively about his struggle dealing with things that he wrote and said while he was doing pretty transgressive comedy and how those things were extracted by his opponents both in Democratic primaries and general elections in Minnesota, look what he said here. And he would have to explain, no, I was doing comedy at the time. I was living a very different kind of life. My career was really different. The fact that you can find this really weird quote, you know, from an essay I wrote in Playboy or something, that's, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't mean the same thing. And he's almost obsessively concerned with that question. But Kate, this isn't something that he wrote or said in the furtherance of comedy. This is some, I mean, I guess his argument would be, well, it was a kind of comedy skit and maybe she didn't really understand all the valences. Shaking her head. Not you, know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, he's still a powerful Harvard guy uh, who at Harvard, I assume, would have been in a particular realm of comedy theater while he was there because that's kind of the pipeline to Saturday Night Live. And, uh, you know, basically he could say and do anything he want, wanted to. 
um, in that context, and it seems like with this situation with uh, with with the actress in the uh, USO situation, he just felt like he could do anything he wanted to do. It's like you know, I I don't think we can negate the fact that it's environmental, and I'm sure he's got a crew of of men that he was with then doing that behavior, that supported that behavior, and probably did it too. But there's also a piece of this, you know, as an actor, knowing like the things that you do in pursuit of the human experience that puts you into these awkward positions. And it wasn't until recently that I've seen before rehearsal an actor saying, okay, so we're going to, I'm going to actually kiss you now. Um, as opposed to in, you know, the first part of my career when you would just jump in and that would not be you know, perceived as an assault, right? Because mm-hmm. it's part of the work that we do. Um, and there's a little bit of that not to, you know, negate, Frank, you know, this mm-hmm. woman's um, experience or, or to give Franken a pass. But there's a little bit of that um, in this situation for me too because there is that awkward moment where strangers are being asked to do something intimate that is just wholly outside of the realm of most human beings' existences. Um, And it is fraught with discomfort because it is not organic or innate or normal or natural. I I would say the one thing that I would push back on regarding that is she's not an actor. She was uh, a model and... She was doing uh, a sketch, right? No. Yeah, well, he was asking her to do a sketch. But it was a a USO tour, and she was there to emcee the tour, and he was there to be entertainment, and almost certainly he wrote the script, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming, Mm -hmm. uh, which would put him in a situation Mm -hmm. of being able to do... uh, to kiss her. Uh, I mean, the thing is, uh, to back up, um, is these are allegations... Um, the photo is is what it is. Um, I found his his uh, his statement. Um, I was getting in, into a, into it with someone on Facebook about whether or not it was a non apology. And this, I think, it's interesting because like Kevin Spacey came out with his statement, and everyone attacked his statement. And then Louis C.K. came out with a better statement, but it wasn't a good enough statement. And I'm looking at Al Franken's statement and saying, mm, not sure about this statement. But there's nothing but, to say. It's about doing. And it's about yeah. a collective doing. Well, know? I think there is something to say as in, I did it. Or <laughs> I'm being falsely accused. Uh, you know, Kevin Spacey did the, you know, I'm gay and was drunk at the time, not really owning this. And Louis C.K. You know, said, yes, I did this. And but they admired me, and <laughs> and didn't really apologize in a certain sense. And I think I guess, with Al Franken, he you know he has come out and said, you know that that uh you know I recall this differently, but women should be believed. Yeah, I guess the statements to me are self serving, and and it doesn't push the needle forward, which I think is some of the conversation we're trying to have. And it's like, so how mm-hmm. do you push the needle forward? Um, the statements don't do that for me in any way. And in some ways, I would rather them not give a statement because it is all covering to to me. Yeah. Um, and but if you came out and said, I, yes, I did this. I mean, Louis C.K. said, yes, I did this, but didn't. And, and <laughs> like, <laughs> should have okay. put a period on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is, part of it is owning your behavior. 
you know, beyond perpetrating the behavior, but owning your behavior and owning the consequences for that mm-hmm. behavior. And I, I find it fascinating that he's, you know, says, yes, I want an investigation into my own behavior. And, it be, you know, it's going to end up being a he said, she said, a Colin, you're laughing. But <laughs> I, it's sort of also, like. I'd leave myself followed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's Put like, a tail on me, okay? You know, uh, I, I appreciate that you want to investigate yourself. But <laughs> that is in, in its heart is my point, right? Yeah, but I mean the thing that is, comes about you could save a lot of time. <laughs> you could save a lot of time, at least as a starting point, and say yes, I did this, or no, I didn't do it. Um, I we're going to take a break here, and then if you guys want to keep talking about this when we come back, we can, or we can switch to later things. I have to tell one quick story here because uh, Tanisha uh, induced a uh, comedy flashback uh, in me. So this is like decades and decades Thank ago. You. I, I'm watching the Tonight Show. <laughs> And they've got one of their pathetic little sketches, and it involved an actress, and Jacques might even remember her name. I think her name was Edie Williams. She was whoever was the leading lady in a lot of softcore Russ Meyer. Edie Williams. Edie Williams. So, so Edie Williams is a – this is the kind of thing I just know Jacques would have an encyclopedia grasp of. Beyond so anyway. the Valley of the Dolls, yeah, one of my favorite go. movies. So Edie Williams is on, and they've got a sketch. And it's Johnny and some other comedian, I can't remember who, and Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis is on the show. And you can sort of tell that Jerry Lewis hadn't even bothered to go to rehearsal. But this, this sketch involved each of the men kissing E.D. Williams passionately with some comic, comic payoff at the end. And yeah, this is to your point, Tanisha. Except that what happened was – so Johnny does this and whoever else is, it is does this. And they get to, and it comes to Jerry's turn to go through this fake door and kiss E.D. Williams passionately. And he sort of looks and he looks around and, and they're all looking at him and he goes – I'm not going to kiss that lady. I'm a married Jewish person, which got a huge laugh uh, and which was not the sketch at all. And, and then when he kind of got over to the couch, he said, you know, I've actually sort of made a decision. I am a married guy and I'm not going to do things like that. I'm not going to like make out with some woman I don't know <laughs> for the purpose of getting a laugh. And this was like 35 years off. ago. I mean, let's be real. Right. I mean, that's. May I say one thing that it doesn't really fit, but I just have to say this because it makes me nuts. I'm a poet. I'm about the word. Mm -hmm. And it makes me nuts that um, media people, broadcasters, writers are using the term that Roy Moore and his supporters are using. And I just want to say that 30-something, 20-something-year-old guys – Preying on fourteen-year-olds and teenagers is not dating. <laughs> that is not no, dating. I think we can all agree with that. But our our young people need to hear that yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Um, Riz, uh, uh, pay attention, young people. All right, we have to take a little <laughs> break. When we come back, we could still be talking about this if the, that is the will of the panel. We also could be talking about Blake Shelton, who so far is not implicated in this story at all. All right, we are back with the nose in the studio with me are Tanisha Dugan uh, and Kate Russian and Jacques Lamar. And Jonathan, <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh at this because I know none of the stuff is funny, but Jonathan McNichol just te- te- uh, texted me that uh, there's a Washington Post story saying that TED Talks Empire has been grappling with sexual harassment. And I'm just sort of thinking, <laughs> it's like, first of all, how do they even kiss with those Madonna mics on? I mean, don't, they, don't they get in the way or something? And it's also like, I don't know. Like if you really wanted to have random sex with somebody, just the TED Talk seems like such a bad idea. But anyway, um, 
My wireless mic got connected to hers. <laughs> exactly. And our faces crashed. You guys are awful. <laughs> uh, um, you know, remember how they used to say that um, Washington, D.C. was Hollywood for ugly people? Mm-hmm. Like, what are the TED, TED Talks? Talk. Well, anyway. Uh, <laughs> there are some sexy people that walk through TED Talks. Oh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, all right. So <laughs> I just had to make fun of the TED Talks for a second. All right, so we are switching gears here a little bit. And I feel like. Subject of sexy people. And the subject of sexy people. And so I feel as though Jacques really does have to uh, lead us into battle on this one. Because um, I'm not really sure I even understand the, all the contours of this. And Kate's doing some on site research right now. Um, <laughs> it's an unfolding story. But we know that. Uh, breaking news. Yeah, breaking news. <laughs> but we do know that Blake Shelton has been named the sexiest man alive. That's the title, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so, would, People Magazine once again people. had the title snatched from me. At the <laughs> <laughs> and but there is sort of the, so there was sort of sort of an immediate backlash, right? Like they like he's like the sexiest guy at Home Depot, maybe or something. I think it was right. one of the typical lines, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because I I say very rarely do I ever agree with people's People Magazine's choice for sexiest man alive, and. He's like sexy average guy. I mean, he's a guy that I'd be like, oh, he's handsome. I don't know that I'd qualify him as sexy. Mm-mm. Maybe Gwen Stefani adds to Makes his sexy. sexy. I think that may be true. Um, he's like sexy adjacent. He is. It's sexy by osmosis. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I think that she's legit sexy, and I don't <laughs> swing that way. But uh, you know, I. <laughs> Well, I mean, we could maybe begin by saying, always should there ever be a man? I mean, given the world that we're in right now, I mean, you sort of wonder whether sexiest man alive, I don't know, is that like even a useful thing for anybody to I be I mean, doing? it's fun. It's I mean, fun, the right? truth of the matter, I would love if we had spent today talking about Serena Williams and Alexis Ohanian. Reddit guy, and they're getting married yesterday because I just love that stuff, and I think it is so necessary to talk about the fluff. And so I appreciate people, especially considering some of their cover cover stories, and I love to stand in the grocery store line because sometimes people doing it themselves is longer than waiting for a real person to check you out. And so I (laughs) like to go through. Um, But he's, he's just a sad choice because... He's not particularly eye candy. He's kind of funny on the voice, but eh. uh, I do feel like he's he is sort of middle of the road, safe, sexy choice. And that's probably why they landed there. He's like a non-controversial sexy choice. Mm, I guess, you know, I, I see the the choice of Blake Shelton as sexiest man alive in the age of Trump. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh He's he's a country guy, and I just heard that he had some problematic tweets, um, and which I was trying to find. Everyone has problematic some tweets. Some of his, <laughs> his, his <laughs> problematic well, tweets on problematic Jezebel tweets. and other sites. Yeah, let me see if I can help here. Shelton likes to get on Twitter, presumably after a few Socos, and make some hilarious jokes about homosexuals, including one that suggested he'd leave any gay man who touches him beaten, bleeding, and heaving that attracted the condemn- condemnation from Glad. He also wrote some stuff about how about people needing to, quote, learn some English so I would at least know what he's planning to bomb, unquote, or that they could drive his airport shuttle bus. And one time he joked about his fantasies involving a 16-year-old Dakota Fanning. Boom, Roy Moore connection made. Uh, I mean, it confirms, right. Like I said, like Sexiest man in the age of Trump. Thank you, Colin. And, you know, and let's face it, 
People magazine, all the magazines, they want to sell, they want clicks. And this is what's working. And Idris Elba evidently wasn't going to make as many sales or get as many clicks from People magazine customers. So they, they broke my heart. No. <laughs> um. So, Jacques, you said that you t- traditionally do oh, not. Oh, poor Jacques. He's so dumbfounded. I so wish this was on television. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't think he even knows what to say. <laughs> well, no, I just had no idea about that with Blake Shelton and whether or not uh, the thought of being beaten bloody by him makes him sexier or less sexy. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's. Um, I mean, the thing is, I don't have a why, problem. Blake Shelton, why? why? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to go out and. But, but well, the why know, Blake Shelton why could mean several different things. Yeah, including why Blake I mean, Shelton. The thing is, like people get upset about the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I think Turnabout is fair play, and People Magazine want to objectify men. You know, you know, go for it. I've Except been known they, to. I, think, I mean, I the photos are so. Wear. Huh? I think they should have to wear a bathing suit. Yeah. A, oh, I don't disagree. Suit. I, think I don't they should disagree. Have to wear a bikini. But the thing, I mean, some of them, you know, you're, you're like, I don't get it at all. And I mean, it, it's it's an excuse to sell issues, and and I'm sure that they probably knew there was a. Uh, I don't know that they knew about the the tweets, but I think that they knew that it would start a conversation and people would pay attention to their junkie magazine. Well, I, my guess is that this stuff is probably market researched pretty heavily and pretty fo- pretty much focus grouped as well. And I think they know what demographics they're going after at any given uh, moment. Just for context, I will now read you all of the sexiest men alive ever. Uh, Mel Gibson once. Okay, there's, there couldn't be a more problematic choice now than Mel Gibson. <laughs> but this is before he was problematic. All right. So Mel, well, Gib- Mel Gibson once. Before we knew, yes. Uh, Brad Pitt twice. Sean Connery. Ch- 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 Channing Tatum. Harry Hamlin. Ben Affleck. George Clooney. Clooney twice, Ryan Reynolds, Dwayne Johnson, John F. Kennedy Jr., Johnny Depp twice, Matt Damon, Denzel Washington, Nick Nolte, Adam Levine. There you go. There you have your sexiest. That's an well, awfully white list except yeah, and for uh, Denzel, Denzel and Denzel. Denzel. is like yeah. and, and the Obama it, w- of black actors. You know, like yeah. everybody loves him. Yeah, yeah. And but he is legit. Ham- I'm, and I'm sure yeah. Blake yeah. Shelton and his people probably just could not stand the fact that Adam Levine got it <laughs> right. and Blake hadn't. So I'm so sure there was some is deals. Idris Elba your your choice for sexiest man alive? Yeah, that's my choice. I feel like Idris Elba is kind of the choice for everything these days. Like, I think he should be Batman. You think he should but be the sexiest man alive? But he's Keith Bogo and Zootopia. But, unfor- yeah. but unfortunately, <laughs> someone made the comment that uh, Idris Elba was too street to play uh, James, James Bond, Bond or yeah. even to be considered. Right, yeah. But that person was denounced. Whatever that means. Yeah, that yes. person was denounced. That was Roger Moore, wasn't it? I don't think it was Roger Moore. I think it was one of some producer or something. Oh, yeah. Roger Moore said basically the character was not written as black and therefore should not be played by a, right. a black actor. I, I mean, the truth is I kind of I like Idris Elba a lot. I think he'd be kind of terrific as almost anything. I'd love to see him as James. <laughs> I mean, I don't think the world would end if he was James Bond for three but movies. But do you think he's world no. sexiest? Well, I don't think Who I'm, would you pick, I don't, I don't think sexiest <laughs> – people's sexiest man alive is America's sexiest man alive. I yeah. don't think it's worldwide sexy. Right, I mean, look at the list. Look, right. I, I, Jock, in answer yes. to your question, I began my secret gay life with Rob Lowe. I'm going to end it that way. Uh, <laughs> Do you have someone, Tanisha? I don't. I feel like we owe the audience our our. Picks. I have to think on it. I couldn't. I couldn't come to it like that. Gotcha. It's a shame. Yeah. Um, Jesse right. Williams. We may have exhausted this topic. Um, all right. <laughs> I'm Jonathan exhausted. Jonathan McNichol. Yeah. Right. Is still my vote. 
so, the sexiest man alive. Yeah, we have maybe three, three, four minutes um, left, and we had a lot of different topics uh, on the list. I don't know. I mean, I have actually been really fascinated this week by the sale of this Da Vinci painting for four hundred and fifty million dollars. Like four hundred million is actually the price plus fifty million. I think it's the commissions and fees and stuff. <laughs> tax, the and t- tax and gratuity. <laughs> I don't know. Does anybody know postage and handling? I mean, I, I think yeah, it's interesting as like a, as like a, a tax shelter. You know, I feel like it's like the new tax shelter for the super wealthy. Things are going crazy with the, the economies around the world. Throw your money into Da Vinci. Well, Jacques, I have to ask you as a former seminarian. Yes. This is a painting of Jesus. Wouldn't Jesus have said 22,000 children die of poverty every year? <laughs> Don't spend $400 million on a painting of me. Oh, you're such a bleeding heart, Kyle. But the thing is you just know that whoever bought it wouldn't have given it to those kids anyway. Oh, yeah. It would have just gone into a yacht or something. I mean, what, Real estate. What, you know, what kills me, of course, is that you know, this will now be you know, very likely in private hands and not able to be – you know, enjoyed or studied, or especially considering there's so few works of Da Vinci that are available to the public. And there's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it like fifteen paintings right? And there's worldwide that some are question view? about the authenticity of this one. Yeah, um, which kind of is baffling for four hundred fifty. Yeah, four hundred thousand. I feel feel four hundred million. Yeah, it should be you know free and clear. Da Authenticated. Vinci. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, some questions about whether it had been painted over so much that you know it really didn't even have whatever its original luster was. I mean, even more than most paintings of that area, which got monkeyed around with we quite need a bit. Dan Brown on this, right? Exactly. <laughs> he's he's been looking to get Da Vinci into a title <laughs> one more time. All right, Kate, you have the last word on this uh, if you want to, if you have a last word. Well, I don't know. You know, I wish I had seen it when it was on display because we may never see it again. So I'll I'll have to get down to MoMA so I can see Michelangelo. Right. Um, Yeah, gather your Da Vinci's whilst you may, apparently. But I will say that there is a Trump angle to everything. So this thing belonged to a Russian oligarch. Uh, who actually, also has to, elephant trophies. Yeah, who also has elephant <laughs> trophies. Throw it all in. Yeah. <laughs> who has, uh, Are we jumping to that? Yeah, no, I don't <laughs> no. think we have time for the elephants today. But yes, uh, b- it belongs. Again, the elephants right. get the worst. It was of bought, it. From the, bought, bought from the trust, I think, of a Russian oligarch who also bought one of Donald Trump's mansions, I believe, or, or it was the other way around. So there's a Trump angle to absolutely everything. But yes. Uh, Jesus is watching you from that painting saying you spent money on the wrong things. I'm an anti-poverty crusader. Didn't you get that part? All right. <laughs> we have to uh, take a break. We're going to have plenty of time, though, for, re-endorse- for endorsements or recommendations or re-endorsements if you endorse something once and you want to endorse it again. Wow, is there a reliable liberal vote left in the Senate who has absolutely no chance of being caught up in some kind of tongue-kissing sex scandal? Yes, there is. Thank you, Dick Blumenthal. Today's show was produced by Jonathan McPants and me, Kion Wolf. Amanda Fish sleeps underwater to avoid being groped. Our intern is Evan Sobel. The part of Bill Curry was played by Bob Packwood. On Monday, show will be back with more weekend news madness on the scramble. And now, back to Colin. Yes. So we have uh, time for a leisurely walk through our endorsements. We have 10 whole minutes uh, to endorse things. Uh, so I hope you, uh, you are eloquent uh, in your endorsements. So um, who wants to begin? Go ahead, Kate. Why don't you kick All right. Off? Well, one of the things I do is 
uh, I wake up really early in the morning here on the East Coast. <laughs> and I love how this is starting. And, <laughs> and I listen to the BBC. We don't have that much time. All right. <laughs> I listen to the BBC. And I learned that this coming Sunday, November 19th, is World Toilet Day and at the UN. And uh, it's 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 set up to address the global sanitation Mm -hmm. crisis. But not only that, the fact that four point five billion people don't have access to facilities in their houses means that women, children and the vulnerable are open to sexual assault. Uh, And so it's a very, very serious situation. And I'm glad to know about it. Uh, the other thing. Could I just say one other thing? Yeah. I love the BBC so much, it, particularly if I wake up in the middle of the night, you know, and I just turn the radio on, and they could be talking about, you know, a plague of boils about to strike. It doesn't make any difference. I just feel like they got this. Yes. You know, they just sound like they got this. You know, we've been there. We we know how to deal with this. I just I go right back to sleep feeling okay. Yes. The other thing I really enjoyed uh, reading this week was learning about the late gossip columnist Liz Smith. Uh, And when I think about what she went through, and as she said, she was not a Smith or Vassar girl. She was from Texas in the 50s. She worked a lot of different pieces of jobs and built it into a major career. And so I have renewed uh, admiration for Liz Smith, and, and and I hope people go online and check out her story and her interviews on uh, NPR and uh, PBS. Um, in fact, uh, for some people, the people listening to the show at 1 o'clock, uh, some of you may have heard at least part of an old Terry Gross interview with, with Liz Smith. That was which good. It was really good, and actually her, it kind of touches on some of the things we've been talking about here, too. And it's just, she w- at one point was being asked about Rock Hudson, and she said, I would, I, I, don't, I don't out people. I've never outed people. I don't, I don't get that. I don't I know why anybody in the world would ever do something like that. And she said, also, I don't write about the celebrity uh, children either. Uh, and so, you know, they're gossip columnists and they're gossip columnists. Gossip, she has, yeah. Yeah, she, well, some people have them anyway. Go ahead, Jacques. Um, well, A, I want to endorse something um, that's in the past. So uh, <laughs> sorry you can't go enjoy it. But uh, Michelle Obama's appearance last night at the Bushnell and and a big um, shout out to the Bushnell and to Connecticut Forum for bringing her here. And it was um, it was an inspiring evening, funny evening. Um, made me uh, regretful that she's no longer in the White House. Uh, not that I wasn't already regretful, <laughs> deeply regretful. But, uh, you know, it was, it, was, um, it was a really lovely, lovely evening with a very wise person. And I think we, everyone who was in attendance was better for being there. So a uh, big shout out again to the Forum and the Bushnell for, for bringing her here. Um, I want to endorse that people support local playwrights uh, by going to see um, a new play at the Hole in the Wall Theater in New Britain um, by Bill Arnold, who is a uh, very funny writer. Um, And uh, he has a a play called School for Manners that's opening. Uh, I think first performance is tonight. And I know that 
that um, the Hole in the Wall Theater can really use your support because they're uh, in a, a bit in arrears on their, their rent. So you can support a playwright who is local and support a theater that could use your dollars. So Hole in the Wall, I think their theater, their website's hitw.org. Many years ago, we had sort of Jacques Lamar nose night at the Hole in the Wall. We all went out to um, yeah. we all went out to Great Wall uh, in New Britain, and then, which I love, which we, lo- we loved, and then we all went and saw the evening of Jacques Lamar plays there. The whole as many nose people as we could rope together that night. Yeah, we had many, and that was like my second production. They're really supportive of Connecticut playwrights, and there's not a lot of theaters in Connecticut that that step up like that. And I'm very fortunate. Uh, that theater works where Tanisha is. Um, Heartbeat Ensemble that Tanisha has been affiliated has also um, done reading the uh, a work that I did, and, and I think that um, that more more of my fellow playwrights should be given the chance to to step up. All right, what have you got, Tanisha Dugan? Well, when I was in my twenties, working in uh, <laughs> corporate really America, <laughs> I. Uh, was doing uh, marketing for for a company, it was and it was at the dawn of blogs, and I did a lot of research about mommy blogs. It was the dawn of mommy blogs, and we were uh, trying to understand that market because the company I worked for uh, engaged heavily with moms and their children. Uh, and in between looking at these mommy blogs, because I was not yet thinking about being a mom, I uh, would sneak in Refinery29. And so I'm endorsing Refinery29 because since then, they have evolved to be a real sort of um, feminist place to go. And that kind of covers everything from at the time, they were fashion and beauty, and that was really their their scope. But they've expanded. They've got this incredible video um, collection called Shatterbox, which is focusing on four female directors, one of which is Gabby Sidibe, uh, who takes uh, Nina Simone's Four Women and reimagines that into a short film. So they're just doing amazing things. I mean, and then really trivial fun things like, hey, Trader Joe's has got uh, black truffle butter, so if you want to really make your family excited <laughs> for the holidays <laughs> on the cheap, pick up a tub of black truffle butter from Tr- Trader Joe's. So Refinery29 is one of them. Uh, another one is Caleb downstairs, who is so sweet and kind. Uh, he checks us in, checks me in, and I come to this building a lot to do a lot of things from Colin to pledges over on the TV side. And he made a suggestion about Thanksgiving for oxtails, which I subsequently texted my family. Mm -hmm. And during the show, got a cavalcade of text responses back because we want oxtails. And the question was, well, is that really Thanksgiving? And we're Jamaican. So of course, (laughs) it's a Jamaican Thanksgiving. You must have oxtails. So thanks to Caleb and my loony family uh, for bringing the oxtails home. And then finally... I was actually going to endorse you, my friend, Mr. Oh, Jacques Lamar, thank you. Uh, a local playwright. Uh, it has been my mission since coming back to Connecticut and working for these organizations to um, produce as much of local work as I can. And Jacques is coming back to us uh, for Christmas, of course, Christmas on the Rocks. He's had the Charlie Brown piece, but he's blessing mm-hmm. us with something new. Uh, so if you want to continue the the holiday spirit and the giving uh, and give to my friend and this prolific performer, playwright, buzz engineer. Uh, <laughs> come check us out. Um, I'll continue with Jacques' uh, retroactive uh, tradition and endorse something that Tanisha endorsed a few weeks ago. Which I, I'm so sorry that I didn't get a chance to endorse it when it would be meaningful, which is The Wolves um, at uh, Theater Works, which was directed by Eric Ord, who I had the fort- good fortune to work with on our Faust piece uh, for the symphony. And Eric just 
did this amazing job. It's a really, really hard play to direct, I think. It would be a hard play mm-hmm. to direct. He did this kind of amazing job with it. I just uh, couldn't be more impressed by that. Uh, and as long as we're sort of on this theater, Jack, I'll quickly say that there's a, um, um, a thing that you can listen to as a podcast called Playing on the Air. It's produced by Claudia Catania. Uh, and it's uh, you just get top – she gets top-ranked playwrights, often with like short little pieces that they've never really staged much anywhere and also just world-class actors and they do them kind of as audio plays. We're going to give you a little taste of that on the Thursday – the Friday after Thanksgiving uh, in this time slot, my time slot. We're going to run uh, one of the episodes of that just so you can get a little taste of what the, what the show sounds like. And I, I ask that it be um, – uh, one with done by that includes a play by Donald Margulies uh, because he's down in New Haven and he listens to this show sometimes and all that kind of stuff. So um, and then I'll quickly endorse just something that maybe you, you can try out. Not everybody is raving about this, but I'm pretty drawn in by Alias Grace on, on Netflix. We we certainly Margaret Atwood is the person you know just in the way that kind of Don DeLillo was the writer really kind of saw 9/11 coming. I think you know <laughs> like so much of his stuff kind of was very prescient about that. So much of her work I think is very prescient about. At the moment that we're in right now. Alias Grace is more of a period piece. Uh, it, it involves uh, a woman, an Irish immigrant, uh, in prison for murder. Um, it has, for the most part, people you've never heard of except for Anna Paquin. And I'm four episodes in and I'm hooked. So uh, if you're looking for something to watch this weekend, there you go. Getting on New Britain, burning. I already said that one. Avon, Farmington. Yeah, 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 yeah.